Chapter Six of The Innocents by Sinclair Lewis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Don W. Jenkins. Apparently, the Applebee's customers had liked the tea room well enough. Some of them had complimented Mrs. Appleby on the crispness of her doughnuts, the generousness of her chicken sandwiches. Those who had quarreled about the thickness of the bread or the vagueness of flavor in the tea father had considered insulting, and he had been perky as a fighting sparrow in answering them. A good many must have been pleased, for on their trip back from Provincetown they returned, exclaimed that they remembered the view from the Rose Arbor, and chatted with Father about the roads and New York and fish. As soon as the first novelty of Miss Mitchin's was gone, the Applebys settled down to custom which was just large enough to keep their hopes staggering onward, and just small enough to eat away their capital a few cents a day, instead of giving them a profit. In the last week of July they were visited by their daughter Lulu. Lulu the fair, Lulu the spectacled, Lulu the lily wife of Harris Hartwig, the up-to-date druggist of Sasserkopee, New York. Lulu had informed them two weeks beforehand that they were to be honored with the presence of herself and her son Harry. Father and mother had been unable to think of any excuse strong enough to keep her away. Lulu wasn't unkind to her parents. Rather, she was too kind. She gave them good advice, and tried to arrange mother's hair in the coiffures displayed by Mrs. Edward Schuyler de Flavor of Sasserkopee, and gave smart teas at the women's exchange. Lulu cheerily told father how well he was withstanding the hand of time, which made him feel decrepit and become profane. In fact, Though they took it for granted that they adored their dear daughter Lulu, they knew that they would not enjoy a single game of cribbage, nor a single recital by Signor Sethico Appleby, the mouth-organ virtuoso, as long as she was with them. But she was coming, and Mother frantically cleaned everything and hid her favorite old shoes. Mrs. Lulu Hartwig arrived with a steamer trunk, two new gowns, a camera, and Harry she seemed disappointed not to find a large summer hotel with dancing and golf next door to the tea-room she didn't hesitate to say that her parents would have done better which meant that lulu would have enjoyed her visit more if they had located at bar harbor or newport she rearranged the furniture but as there was nothing in the tea-room but chairs tables and a fireplace there wasn't much she could do she descended on Grimsby Center, and came back enthusiastic about Miss Mitchin's. She had met the young man with the Albanian costume, and he had talked to her about vorticism and this jolly new Polish composer with his suite for tom-tom and cymbals. She led father into the arbor, and effervescently demanded, "'Why don't mother and you have a place like that dear old mansion of Miss Mitchin's, and all those clever people there and all?' Father fairly snarled now look here young woman the less you say about miss mitten the more popular you'll be around here and don't you dare to speak to your mother about that place it's raised the devil with our trade and i won't have your mother bothered with it and if you mean the young fellow that needs a decent pair of pantaloons by his albanian costume business why i should think you'd be ashamed to speak of him now father of course you have particularly studied artists 
look here young women when you used to visit us in new york it was all right for you to get our goats by sticking your snub nose in the air and asking us if we'd read a lot of new-fangled books that we'd never heard of i'll admit that was a good way to show us how superior you were but this miss mitten place is a pretty serious proposition for us to buck and i absolutely forbid you to bother your mother with mentioning it father stood straight and glared at her there was in him nothing of the weary little man who was in awe of miss mitchin's even his daughter was impressed she forgot for a moment that she was mrs hartwig now and had the best phonograph in sasserkopee but she took one more shot all the same it would be a good thing for you if you had some clever people or some society people coming here often it would advertise the place as nothing else would well we'll see about that said father which meant of course that he wouldn't see about it lulu hartwig was a source of agitation for two weeks after father's outbreak she stopped commenting but every day when business was light they could feel her accusingly counting the number of customers but she did not become active again till the sunday before her going the applebys were sitting upstairs that day holding hands and avoiding lulu below them they heard a motor-car stop and mother prepared to go down and serve the tourists the brazen beloved voice of uncle joe tubbs of west skipsit blared out where's the folks eh tell em the tubbses are here and lulu's congealed voice in an answer i don't know whether they're at home if they are who shall i tell them is calling please huh oh well just say the tubbses mr and mrs tubbs yes 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 by this time father and mother were galloping downstairs they welcomed the tubbses with yelps of pleasure the four of them sat in rockers on the grass and talked about the tubbses boarders and the applebys admired to hear that uncle joe now ran the car himself but all of them were conscious that lulu in a chiffon scarf and eyeglasses was watching them amusedly and the tubbses uneasily took leave in an hour pleading the distance back to west skipsit not till evening when he got the chance to walk by himself on the beach below the gravel cliffs did father quite realize what his daughter had done that with her superior manner she had frightened the tubbses away yet there was nothing to do about it even at her departure there was a certain difficulty for lulu developed a resolution to have her parents visit her at sasserkopee perhaps she wished to show them in what state she now lived or it may conceivably be that in her refined and determined manner she was fond of her parents she kissed them repeatedly and was gone with much waving of a handkerchief and yelps of now don't forget you're you're to visit me be sure and write harry don't stick your head out the window do you hear me lulu's visit had two effects upon the lives of father and mother they found that their quiet love had grown many fold stronger sweeter in the two weeks it had been denied the silly fondnesses of utterance they could laugh now that there was no critic of their shy brand of humour father stopped on the step and winked an immense shameless wink at mother and she sighed and said with unexpected understanding yes i'm afraid lulu is a little just a little bit and i reckon we won't be in such a gosh-awful hustle to visit her mother was so vulgar as to grunt well i guess not that evening they sat in the rose arbor again and had tone poems on the mouth organ and dreamed that something would happen to make their investment pay another result there was of lulu's visit father couldn't help remembering her suggestion that they ought to bag a social or artistic lion as an attraction for the tea-room he was delighted to find that after weeks of vacuous worry he had another idea 
now that august the height of the season had come he would capture mrs vance carter herself mrs vance carter was the widow of the booth bay textile mills millions she was a winslow on her father's side a cabot on her mother's and beacon street was officially swept from end to end and tidied with little pink feather dusters whenever she returned to boston she was so solid that society reporters didn't dare write little items about her and when she was in charleston she was invited to the st cecilia ball also she was rather ignorant rather unhappy and completely aimless she and her daughter spent their summers three miles from grimsby head in an estate with a gatehouse and a conservatory and a golf course and a house with three towers and other architecture when america becomes a military autocracy she will be lady carter or the countess of grimsby the applebys saw her go by every day in a landaulet with a liveried chauffeur and a footman with breathless secrecy father planned to entice mrs vance carter to the tea-room once they had her there she would certainly appreciate the wholesome goodness of mother's cooking he imagined long intimate conversations in which mrs carter would say to him mr appleby i can't tell you how much i like to get away from my french cook and enjoy your nice old house and mrs appleby's delicious homey doughnuts it was easy to win mrs carter in imagination sitting by himself in the rose arbor while mother served their infrequent customers or stood at the door unhappily watching for them father visualized mrs carter exclaiming over the view from the arbor the sunset across the moors as seen from their door which was father believed absolutely the largest and finest sunset in the world he even went so far as to discover in mrs vance carter mrs cabot winslow carter a sneaking fondness for cribbage which in her exalted social position she had had to conceal he saw her send the chauffeur away and cash her lorgnette and roll up her sleeves and simply wade into an orgy of cribbage with pleasing light refreshments of cider and cakes waiting by the fireplace then he saw mrs carter sending all her acquaintances to the tea-room and the establishment so prosperous that miss mitchin would come round and beg the applebys to enter into partnership father was not such a fool to believe all his fancies but hadn't he heard the most surprising tales of how friendly these great folk could be why here just the other day he had been reading in the boilerplate innards of the grimsby recorder how jim hill the railroad king had dropped off at a little station in north dakota one night incognito and talked for hours to the young station-master he was burning to do something besides helping mother in the kitchen something which would save them and pull the tea-room out of the hole without a word to mother he started for grimsby hill the estate of mrs vance carter he didn't know what he was going to do but he was certain that he was going to do something as he arrived at the long line of iron picket fence surrounding grimsby hill he saw mrs carter's motor enter the gate it seemed to be a good omen he hurried to the gate peered in then passed on he couldn't go and swagger past the exclusive-looking gatehouse and intrude on that sweep of rhododendron-lined private driveway he walked shyly along the iron fence for a quarter of a mile before he got up courage to go back rushed through the towering iron gateway and past the gatehouse into the sacred estate he expected to hear a voice it would be a cockney servant's voice demanding ere you what you want but no one stopped him no one spoke to him he was safe among the rhododendrons 
he clumped along as though he had important business secretly patting his tie into shape and smoothing his hair just let anybody try to stop him he knew what he was about but he really didn't know what he was about he hadn't the slightest notion as to whether he would go up and invite their dear cribbage companion mrs carter to come and see them or tack up a tea-room advertisement on the porch he came to a stretch of lawn with the house and all its three towers scowling down at him behind it were the edges of a group of outbuildings he veered around toward these outside the garage he saw the chauffeur with his livery coat off polishing a fender great perhaps he could persuade the chauffeur to help him he put on what he felt to be a new york briskness furtively touched his tie again and skipped up to the chauffeur fine day he said breezily starting with the one neutral topic of conversation in the world what of it said the chauffeur and went on polishing well uh say i wanted to have a talk with you i guess there's nothing stopping you go on and have your talk i can't get away the old dragon wanted to have a talk with me too this morning so did the housekeeper everybody does and he polished harder than ever ha <laughs> ha which indicates father's laughter though it actually sounded more like hick hick as carelessly as he could father observed that's how it goes all right i know when i was in the shoe business well well you don't say so see how's the shoe business in hyannis papa hyannis hell i've been business in new york city new york for more than forty years oh father felt that he had made an impression he stuck his thumbs in his waistcoat pockets as he had not done these six gloomy weeks threw out his chest and tried to look like thirty-fourth and broadway with a dash of wall street and a flavor of fifth avenue the chauffeur sighed well all i can say is that any guy that's lived in new york that long and then comes to this god-forsaken neck of land is a nut with an almost cosmic sorrow in his manner and an irritated twist in his suspenders the chauffeur disappeared into the garage father forlornly felt that he wasn't visibly getting nearer to the heart and patronage of mrs vance carter he stood alone on the cement terrace before the garage the square grim back of the big house didn't so much look down on him as beautifully ignore him a maid in a cap peeped wonderingly at him from a window a man in dun livery wheeled a vacuum cleaner out of an unexpected basement door an undergardener appearing at the corner dragging a cultivator stared at him far off somewhere he heard a voice crying fifth love he could see a corner of a sunken garden with stiff borders of box he had an uneasy feeling that a whole army of unexpected servants stood between him and mrs vance carter that at any moment a fat side-whiskered expensive butler like the butlers you see in the movies would pop up and order him off the grounds the unsatisfactory chauffeur reappeared in a panic father urged say my name's appleby and i run the tea-room at grimsby head you know a couple of miles this side of the centre it would be pretty nice for our class of business if the madam was to stop there some time and i was just wondering just kind of wondering if some time when she felt thirsty you could she don't never tell me when she's thirsty she just tells me when she's mad well you know some time you might be stopping to show her the view or something you fix it up and here you get yourself some cigars he timidly held out a two-dollar bill it seemed to bore the chauffeur a good deal but he condescended to take it father tried to look knowing and friendly and sophisticated all at once he added any time you feel like a good cup of tea and the finest home-made doughnuts you ever ate why you just drop in yourself and twon't cost you a cent all right bo i'll see what i can do said the chauffeur and vanished again father airily stamped along the driveway 
His head was high and hopeful. He inspected the tennis courts as though he were Maurice McLaughlin. He admitted that the rhododendrons were quite extensive. In fact, he liked Grimsby Hill. He had saved their fortunes, not for himself, but for mother. He whistled the harem-scarum rag all the way home, interrupting himself only to murmur, "'I wonder where the back door of that house is. Not at the back, anyway. Never saw even a garbage pail.' And then for two weeks he sat with mother in the sun and watched the motors go by. They were almost ready to admit now that their venture was a complete failure, that they were ruined, that they didn't know what they would do with no savings and a rainy day coming. They let their maid go. They gave the grocer smaller and smaller orders for bread and butter and cheese, and even these orders were invariably too large for the little custom that came their way. For a week father concealed the fact that Mrs. Vance Carter would be coming, not now but very soon. Then he had to tell mother the secret to save her from prostrating worry. They talked always of that coming miracle as they sat with hand, desperately clutching hand, in the evening. They nearly convinced themselves that Mrs. Carter would send her friends. September was almost here, and it was too late for Mrs. Carter's influence to help them this year. But they trusted that somehow, by the magic of her wealth and position, she would enable them to get through the winter and find success during the next year. They developed a remarkable skill in seeing her car coming far down the road. When either of them saw it, the other was summoned, and they waited tremblingly. But the landaulet always passed, with Mrs. Carter staring straight ahead, gray-haired and hook-nosed, sometimes with Miss Margaret Carter, whose softly piquant little nose would in time be hooked like her mother's. Father's treacherous ally, the chauffeur, never even looked at the tea-room. Sometimes father wondered if the chauffeur knew just where the house was. Perhaps he never noticed it. He planned to wave and attract the chauffeur's attention, but in face of the prodigious Mrs. Carter he never dared to carry out the plan. September 1st. The Applebys had given up hope of miracles. They were making up their minds to notify Mr. Pilkings of Pilkings and Sons 6th Avenue Standard Shoe Parlor that Father again wanted the job he had held for so many years. They must leave the Rose Arbor for the noise of that most alien of places, their native New York. Mother was in the kitchen, Father at the front door, aimlessly whittling. He looked up, saw the Vance Carter motor approaching. He shrugged his shoulders, growled, "'Let her go to the Dickens!' Then the car had stopped, and Mrs. Vance Carter and Miss Margaret Carter had incredibly stepped out, had started up the path to the tea-room. End of chapter 6 Read by Don W. Jenkins Rancho San Diego, California Shaggybark.blogspot.com